Welcome to the Medics Money Podcast. My name is Dr. Tommy Perkins, and I'm a GP. And my name is Dr. Ed Cantelo, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and a chartered tax advisor. And yes, you did hear that right. Not only is Ed a doctor, he's also a chartered accountant and a tax advisor. Medics Money empowers doctors and other professionals like you to make better financial decisions. As ever, this podcast is for entertainment only and does not represent any form of financial, legal or accounting advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. On today's podcast, I'm here with my Medics Money co-founder, Dr. Ed Cantello, and we are going to be discussing the autumn budget statement. Now, last time we did a budget related podcast, it felt a bit like we were indulging you a bit, mate, because in your previous life as a tax advisor and accountant at PwC in London, presumably the budget was quite a big deal. Yeah, it was a massive deal. It was always something that pretty much everyone would, uh, would stop doing what they were doing and watch it. Their desks, sometimes they actually put on like big screens with the employees go and watch it. There'd always be someone from PwC on some news network giving their reaction. I think that one year I also helped them summarize a, a press statement and use that for all our clients. And then afterwards, that night, there'll be a big sort of client event to discuss what was in the budget. I think uh, the only one I, I kind of really went to was one at uh, the Globe Theatre, but I wasn't talking. I was too junior. I basically just took coats <laughs> and asked people uh, questions about what they thought about the budget until I got bored. Nice. Well, we weren't really sure if the budget special podcast that we did last time was purely indulging Ed and allowing to re- him to relive his glory days. But it turns out that doctors are really interested in the budget. So we thought we'd do another budget special because we've just had the autumn budget statement. So we're going to talk about loads today about specifically how the budget has affected doctors. And I think there's lots in here. And we're also going to talk about inflation because that is something that we touched upon in our previous budget statement. And I think, Ed, you mentioned that inflation was predicted to rise and as if by magic, it has. So shall we just get into the episode? Yeah, absolutely. Let's go for it. I guess one thing to start off with, though, is we're not going to really sugarcoat this because really, overall, this autumn budget statement is not great news for our wallets. We've got a multitude of spending commitments. There are record levels of public debt. And this budget really has basically put a squeeze on everyone, which is effectively going to leave us all poorer. So I kind of feel like this is going to be a little bit sort of doomy and gloomy, but it's important to know for everyone to know what exactly is happening, how that's going to affect us and our wallets. But essentially, with national insurance rate rises, threshold freezes, a rise in inflation, all of which we're going to talk about, our incomes are basically all for all of us are going to drop next year. Overall, it's thought that households are going to be squeezed for around £160 billion because of the measures in this budget statement, along with those already announced. Because actually, the government have announced quite a few things already. So this was almost a way for them to kind of put it all together in one place. This budget statement is really actually a continuation of what we spoke about, Tommy, in that kind of the last budget uh, podcast we did. This essentially, we're continuing with this, what we call a deep freeze in the allowances and thresholds. And that's not really good news for us at all. So as we previously announced in our, or sorry, as the government previously announced, and we spoke about in our last budget podcast. One day, mate, we'll be doing the announcements, I feel yeah. like, you know, on behalf <laughs> of the government, but. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, yeah, maybe one day you'll see me outside, you know, number 11 down the street, my little sort of red case. You never know. <laughs> Who knows? But at that point, I will just comment on what Rishi's been doing. And as I say, previously, they've announced that the personal allowance, the amount at which the majority of us get tax free, 
that has been frozen at £12,570 until 2026. So for a long while, until for five years, our personal allowance tax amount is going to be frozen at 12,570. The rate at which people start paying tax of 40% instead of 20%, that's also frozen at 50,270 pounds. And because these thresholds have been fixed, it's been estimated that the cost to households is going to be nearly 50 billion pounds compared to if the government had increased those thresholds in line with inflation. And if you're feeling a little bit confused as to why this matters, or even if you're feeling a bit confused about what inflation is, don't worry, we're going to talk about that in a bit. But essentially, personal allowance frozen, tax bans frozen, and many other thresholds and allowances have also been frozen, which are going to affect people. And those include uh, the following. So, for example, the point at which an individual loses their tax-free personal allowance, that's £100,000, and it has been ever since Gordon Brown's government came up with this cunning wheeze. Um, but that point, that £100,000, is not changing, it's never changed. Likewise, the £150,000 threshold at which you pay the higher income tax rate, 45%, that's also never changed since it was introduced and it hasn't again here. Other things, the £50,000 level at which child benefit starts to be clawed back, that's been frozen. The £40,000 amount you can contribute into a pension without paying tax has also been frozen. And both the amount of capital gains you can make on sterling assets without paying tax, that's 12300 and the amount you can transfer to your family and friends inheritance tax-free, that's £325,000. Those are both been frozen as well. So effectively, if you can think of a, an allowance or a threshold, they've basically been frozen. Yeah. We also talked about this on the last podcast, but the lifetime allowance for pensions has also been frozen. So add that to the list. That's a, oh, yeah. That's yeah, a big point. problem. Yeah, it's massive actually. Yeah, yeah we've actually got another podcast on that. So Let's not go down the pensions rabbit hole today, but I'm going to add that to the another allowance that's been frozen. But yeah. if you're still wondering, frozen, it doesn't sound too bad because you're not increasing it, right? So why is freezing these thresholds a problem? So it's a really good question. So people, people might think actually, why, why isn't it? Why is it an issue for me? Because actually it's not going down. You know, going up would be beneficial. Going down would be bad. Freezing it just feels, well, nothing's changed. But by freezing thresholds, it means that many people who get a pay rise will end up paying more income tax as more people will earn over that personal allowance threshold and start paying tax for the first time. Or some people will start going over the threshold at which they pay 40% tax instead of 20% and so on. Some people may end up going tipping over because their pay rise is into the point where they lose their child benefit allowance or they have to pay tax at 45%. So essentially... As we get pay rises, which hopefully we will do, more people will get caught into paying higher rates of tax. And as this freeze is going to go on until April 2026, it's expected that it's going to catch a lot of us and a lot of us will end up paying more tax overall. This is known to economists, I think we mentioned it in the last podcast on the budget, um, as something called fiscal drag, because people are being dragged into paying more tax as a result of the government's fiscal policy. So all in all, the fact it's frozen isn't great news at all. But because of inflation, even if you're not going to be pulled into a new tax rate, we're all still going to be worse off. Yeah. Should we just explain that a bit more? Because I gave a pretty rough and ready explanation of inflation on the last budget podcast, but you also have a degree in economics from some average university in the Midlands somewhere. I can't remember what it's called. What? Outrageous. Is it, what's it called again? The best uni ever. I went to, it's a Cambridge and... Right. 
Anyway, Thanks. whatever. But should we talk about what inflation is? Because for me, as a lay person, I think inflation is going to be the biggest problem going forward because of some of the reasons that you mentioned there. And also, some people have had a 3% pay rise, but maybe we'll talk a bit about how that's effectively going to be a cut in real terms once we've talked about the social care levy, et cetera, and inflation. But can we go into a better explanation of what inflation is? Yeah, absolutely. Of course you can. Inflation is basically the ongoing increase in the average level of prices across the economy over a period of time. Okay. It's usually expressed as a, an annual rate. And it's think of it as more of a, a kind of a process rather than a, a one-off event. It's not a static thing. It's a flow. It may be useful to try and get it, to try and explain it better if I explain how it's calculated, because that will probably give you guys a uh, more of an idea as to what it actually is, if you know how it's actually worked out. So basically, first of all, a starting year or a base year is chosen, and the prices of a wide range of business services are recorded. So the Office of National Statistics, they collect data from several thousand households to decide which goods and services we're mainly spending our money on, and they record those goods. And that's because our spending habits will change over time. So there would have been a point when we were buying video players, for example, which people aren't buying now. Um, we weren't buying mobile phones, but we are now. So the, the government are constantly getting up-to-date data on what we're actually buying, see what should go into that basket of goods. Okay. And once they work out the prices of these goods and services, they then take that whole basket of goods and services, and they allocate it a value of 100. Okay, that's the kind of base, 100. And then every month, the prices of those items that they've itemized, that they've uh, recorded, and they work out the rate at which they're rising. Okay, so some things in that basket of goods are going to fall in price. Some things in that basket of goods and services are going to rise in price. And they look at it as an aggregate as a whole to get a reflection of how prices are changing in the economy as a whole. So for example, currently, the price of uh, secondhand cars is going up by 19.2%, and petrol is going up by 19% in the latest figures, while the price of jam, for example, has fallen by 4.6%. And of course, sadly, we spend a lot more money of our money on petrol than jam. I mean, I don't ever buy jam. I mean, the price of coffee's fallen, so that's good news for me, but uh, not enough to outweigh the increase of the price of petrol and so on. Okay. Just to explain why inflation may go up or why it may go down, before I carry on explaining a bit more about what it means. If you put things simply, inflation is caused by an increased demand for goods, which will increase their prices, or a decreased supply of them, which will also increase their prices. And a lot of our listeners will know that there's currently a lot of supply chain issues in the UK, and in fairness, in the world. And of course, we all know there's been mayhem at the petrol pumps recently and talks of shortages in the shops and so on. So we're having quite a big supply issue here, which is driving into inflation and also a bit more of a demand issue as well. People are now, after lockdown, spending more money as well on, on goods. So inflation is going up. And why is that a problem? Well, the higher inflation is, the more the actual real value of our money is falling. Okay. Basically, think of it as this, money is worth less effectively. So if the inflation rate, say, for example, is 5%, then you would need £105 at the end of the year to buy the same quantity of goods that would have been, could have been bought for £100 at the start of the year. 
So in this example, the cost of living for everyone has increased by 5%. I hope, hopefully that, that kind of makes sense as to what kind of inflation is. And currently, the rate of inflation is predicted to reach 4.4% next year and uh, potentially could reach 5%, which is the highest it's been for 30 years, which is uh, three quarters of my entire lifespan. So some people might be dragged into paying more tax, but all of us are going to be seeing prices rise. Inflation basically is making us all poorer without us even realizing that cost of living is going up. And that's going to affect us for tax as well, because imagine the case where the government had increased the tax thresholds by the rate of inflation each year. So if the rate of inflation was, let's pretend it was 5%, they would increase the personal allowance by 5%, for example. And that's in their rights to do. They could have done that. And if they had done that, then think about it. If all of us got a 5% increase in our personal allowance, um, for the majority of us, our tax bills would then fall. And that would make up for the fact that the cost of living has risen by 5%. So the fact they're not actually increasing the tax thresholds means that we are all going to be poorer again because of this inflation rate rise. You did say that we weren't going to sugarcoat it and there's been absolutely no sugarcoating so far. So uh, well done for staying true to your word. <laughs> I'd still like, yeah, you know, we're going to be really depressing everyone. But, you know, again, we've always said this, it's really important to know what's going on with finances. So, um, you know, we're going to tell you exactly how it is and keep you up to date. Um, continuing the news, or um, I was about to joke and say good news, continuing the bad news, the Bank of England, that has been, always been, sorry, was, it was given a target in the 2000s of keeping inflation rates at around 2%. And if it goes too high, apart from having to write a letter to the government explaining why they've missed their target, like some sort of naughty school kid, they have to, uh, well, they will consider measures to try and get inflation down. The Bank of England's job well, one of its main jobs is to get inflation around that target of 2%. Okay. So to do that, they may then raise interest rates to cool down the economy. And the biggest impact that will have is it usually means that mortgage rates uh, rise. So you may have seen in the papers already, mortgage companies, banks, etc., are already pulling um, some of their cheaper mortgage deals in anticipation of a rate rise. So it's basically another way that we all may be poorer if they increase interest rates, a lot for a lot of us, our mortgage rates will rise. Now, whether they do raise interest rates or hold their nerve and hope the supply chain issues are going to resolve and inflation will fall anyway, remains to be seen. And the Bank of England have a committee and they vote as to whether to raise interest rates or, or not. And it's hard to say, I think, at this moment in time, for definite, as whether it's, they're going to go up or they're going to hold the interest rates. But I think on the main part, it's for the interest rates are going to rise. But it's not a given. So we may not see the interest rate rises. If we do, it's another piece of uh, bad news, sadly. And just with the mortgage, there's an article on the, more, the effect of this on mortgage rates on the Medics Money blog. At least, hopefully, it'll be out by the time this podcast goes out. And it'll also come out on the emails. So keep an eye on your Medics Money emails. If you're not on the Medics Money email, I mean, what are you doing? It's our main method of communicating with you. The easiest way to join is just download the ebook, medicsmoney.co.uk forward slash ebook, and then you'll get kept up to date with all of the relevant information. So Chris, basically crystal ball time, no one can predict the future. But if anyone's going to be able to predict the future, I feel like you may be more able to do so than me because you have a degree in economics, your accountant, a tax advisor, and a doctor. What do you think? Are the interest rates going to go up? By the way, this is not advice. This is just random crystal ball games. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. you're definitely taking this advice because, you know, honestly, who knows? There are multiple 
people on that committee. And it's really difficult to say as to whether they're going to increase it or not. Because I think quite a few of the economists on that committee are saying, well, why should we increase interest rates when this is likely to be a transient rise in, in inflation? Because at the moment, we know the supply chain issues, for example, which hopefully may resolve. We know there's a bit of a demand spike in, in goods. as People start to uh, get out more, for example. So hospitality, for example, that the prices of hospitality, meals out, pubs, etc., they're going up. So some economists are saying on the Banking Union Committee, well, it's all transient. It's going to correct itself. Why do a kind of a, a knee-jerk reaction of raising interest rates when things down the line will get better? Whereas others are saying, well, our target rate is 2%. Inflation could go up to 5%. We need to do something to cool the economy down. Let's raise interest rates. I think currently there's an expectation that interest rates will go up. And I think you can see that that's the kind of current view of what's going to go on by the fact that the banks are at the moment pushing up their, their mortgage rates. And so certainly a lot of these, the banks are expecting a rise in the banking base rate. But who knows? It's going to be one of those things we're going to have to wait and see. Yep. No one knows. Can't predict the future. But no, you personally are sort of hinting that you think it's going to go up. Okay. Yeah, that, that's it. I don't know. So we shall see. I shall eagerly await the announcement as much as everyone else. Yeah. Okay, good. So hopefully that was helpful to explain all of that and how it affects us. So we have fiscal drag, basically. Is that what we're going to say is like a stealth tax, basically? Yeah, essentially. And just in case, I I don't think I'm actually explaining what a stealth tax is. Basically, instead of an overt tax rise where the government is saying, we're going to increase your tax rates to increase our revenue, what they're doing is they're increasing their revenue stealthily by not actually increasing the tax rates. They're finding other means to increase their revenue. Yep. It's basically increasing tax revenue by stealth. So yeah, absolutely yep. right. So fiscal drag giving us stealth tax rises, shall we say. Inflation making us all poorer for the reasons that you just outlined. Uh, possible, maybe, interest rate rise coming to make borrowing, like mortgages, etc., more expensive. Anything else? Well, yes. Yep. I'm afraid there's, there's more. So I'm sure most people will know that the government had already announced an actual tax rate previously to add to all these kind of stealth taxes that we just talked about. And that's the new health and social care levy, which is going to see our national interest rates rise by 1.25% from the 6th of April 2022. At the moment, the government are going to actually just increase the national insurance rates. But later on, they're going to actually separate it out on our pay slips. So the national insurance rates will go back to normal and there'll be a separate um, health and social care levy. But for now, that 1.25% levy is going to be incorporated into national insurance, mainly because it's easier for the government to start raising the money quicker. And that means that whether you're a salaried healthcare professional, a self-employed locum, a GP partner, whoever you are, basically, your national insurance payments are going to go up. So if you take, for example, an employee from April 2022, sorry, at the moment, they currently pay national insurance at rates of 12% and then 2%. Probably easiest if I give you the current rates first. So currently, if you're an employee, you pay national insurance at rates of 12% and then 2% over a certain amount of income. And I won't go into national insurance too much because we've got loads of stuff on that previously. These rates from April 2022 are going to increase to 13.25% and then 3.25% over that certain amount of income, which you won't be surprised to hear has been frozen. That level which you pay the higher rate of national insurance has um, been frozen. 
funny that. Uh, if you're self-employed, GB partner, etc., then you pay currently 9% national insurance on your profits and then 2%, again, over a certain amount of income. Those rates are going to go up to 10.25% and then 3.25% on profits. So basically, if you currently tax, or if you currently have a national insurance rate of anything, add 1.25% to it. And they've also done something quite interesting in quotation marks with this because what they've also done is they've also increased the dividend tax rate by 1.25%. And that means that any doctors who currently have their own limited company that they pay dividends out of, their tax bill on those dividends is also going to go up by 1.25%. The government in their budget announcement said that they wanted investors to also share the burden of this levy. I guess trying to be a bit positive, the money raised from this new levy is supposed to go to the NHS to help us with our COVID-related backlogs. And then apparently to help, using Boris's own words, fix the crisis in social care once and for all. So, you know, let's maybe try to remain optimistic. We're going to be paying more money, but it's going into worthy causes. And who knows, maybe Boris is right and we will fix the crisis in social care once and for all. I'm not really sure that's going to happen. But again, willing to try and pretend I'm being uh, optimistic here. (laughs) Yeah, that's your optimistic slant. I like that few other things that I want to talk about going off piste here. You said when you were at PwC, you got around the big TV screen and watched it together, etc. What did you do for the budget this year? Did you manage to watch it live or not? I have to be honest, I wasn't able to know. I can't remember what I was doing at the time, but uh, I wasn't able to, sadly. Yeah, I didn't watch it live either. But one thing I wanted to say is I did watch the replay and the shadow chancellor is someone, a lady called Rachel Reeves. And 45 minutes before the budget, Keir Starmer had a positive COVID test and couldn't do it. So she had mm. 45 minutes to prepare her budget response and oh, it's, yeah, it's she harsh. smashed it. Yeah. yeah. She absolutely smashed it. Rachel Reeves, the shadow chancellor. So yeah. Yeah, that's impressive. They did get quite a short amount of time that they, they took. Especially now. The only thing I will say, and I'm not trying to take away from it being impressive at all, because you know I'm sure I won't be able to do, do a good job in sort of 45 minutes, is essentially the government rather naughtily, uh, much the ire of the Speaker of the House of Commons, they've just leaked so much of the stuff about that, about the budget statement. True. So much of it was already known. I'm not actually sure anything in there particularly was, was new or unexpected. Yeah. Um, but still, you know, fair play to her. Yeah. It's a difficult job the best of times. So. I think she's yeah. a fellow mm-hmm. economist as well. So, um, well, yeah. Well, that is awesome. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, uh, but just the best, really. <laughs> you know, um, the economists—it's uh, called the dismal science. It's got that nickname because it's quite a pessimistic <laughs> academic study. So, yeah. So she's a fellow uh, dismal science um, studier. Yeah, but you're right. Normally, in the budget, you get a bit of kite flying before, like maybe we're going to do this, maybe we're not going to do that, and then they gauge public opinion and presumably then yeah. base what they do on that. But but this time, it was just really just straight out leaked, wasn't it? So yeah, maybe yeah, she did have yeah. slightly more than forty five minutes. Good point. And you also used to get sort of Gordon Brown, for example, when he did his budgets. He'd always he'd have always have like uh, what they call a rabbit in the hat. So at some point, he'll magically pull out this rabbit in the hat, metaphorically. And it'll be this big announcement that no one was expecting, or usually a good announcement that everyone would want, um, just to uh, have some sort of something for the press to like say, wow, look at this, have we done this? Um, but yeah, with Rishi, he's like, just basically leaked it all in advance. And uh, so nothing here is that new. Yeah. The other thing that was kind of around the budget is that we've been promised a fair and affordable pay rise for the public sector, which 
I mean, who knows what that means? Because we've been banging on about this for ages, but some doctors in the last 10 years have had nearly a 30% real terms pay cut. And if you're sat there thinking, hold on, we, we had a 3% pay rise this year, 1% last year. It's going back to that thing about inflation again, isn't it? That in real terms, so this year, some doctors have had a 3% pay rise in inverted commas, but inflation is... Well, I mean, let's take, for example, it's predicted to be 4.4% uh, okay. next year, 5% yep. at, at its maximum. Yeah. If your pay goes up by 3%, everything you buy is going up by basically 5%. You're basically, effectively getting a pay cut there. Yeah, absolutely. So that 3% pay rise is actually going to manifest into a decent sized pay cut in real terms. So presumably when they said a fair and affordable pay rise for public sector, they mean above inflation pay rise, which I look forward to and I'm sure you do too. Well, absolutely. Waiting for that with uh, anticipation and I'm yeah. sure I won't be disappointed. I might just say, don't spend it before it arrives. Just in case, just in case yeah. uh, a fair and affordable pay rise isn't what we consider to be a fair and affordable pay rise for the That's public sector. Yeah, yeah. Definitely don't get excited and spend lots of extra money. That's uh, <laughs> top tip. <laughs> yeah. money. Don't spend it before you've seen it. Okay, <laughs> give it. us the summary then for everyone. Yeah, so great news. Uh, no, seriously, overall, basically, we're all going to be left uh, poorer going forward. And I kind of hate to kind of keep saying that because I feel it's, you know, it's very depressing, but I fully appreciate nothing that we've said here really has been particularly positive. The average household apparently is expected to be £3,000 worse off next year than when Boris won his December 2019 election, which I'm sure wasn't one of those statistics that he was hoping for, but that's the position that we will find ourselves in. But just thinking about this, given all of this really is out of our control, it remains really important again, and I know we keep going on about this, but it is truly, utterly, really important. We make sure that we all do what we can to avoid accidentally overpaying tax. The government are going to take as much as they can, and we can't stop them in many ways, but we can make sure that we're not overpaying tax. So make sure you're claiming all those allowable employment expenses against your employment income. Make sure that you have a correct tax code and you're not on a strange emergency tax code, which means you're paying way more than you should. Make sure you use your maximum ISO allowance if you can, and so on. Don't pay a penny more than you have to. That's basically the most important part of this uh, podcast, I think. Yeah, and I think we've said this so many times, but if you do nothing with regards to tax, it is very, very, very likely you'll overpay because HMRC are not going to phone you up and say, Hi, Dr. Cantello, I noticed that you've just spent £2,000 on a postgraduate exam to make yourself a better doctor do you know you can claim 40% of that cost back? They're just not going to do that. You've got to no. do it yourself. They're not going to yep. phone you up and say, it looks like you've got an annual allowance charge on your pension. So be careful, adjust what, but you know, take the necessary precautions. Yep. They're not going to do that. So right. you've got to do it yourself. Keep listening to the podcast, read the resources. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're, absolutely. They're not going to, as you say, they're not going to tell you about these things. Most of the time, because they won't know. They have no idea that you spent money on that exam. But yep. even if they did, I don't think they're going to write to you and say, oh, hello. Claim tax correction. So, so yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, make sure you do something. And to say, and we we say this quite often as well. Not everything you have to do needs an accountant. By the way, I know we said this before, but checking your tax code, claiming those employment expenses—they're they're fairly basic things that everyone can do. And we've got loads of help and guidance on that. So, the bare minimum, at least, at least be doing that. And there's loads of help on the Medics Money website. Yeah, I think they're fairly basic if you know what you're doing. 
Oh, yeah. If you don't know what you're doing, what you need to do <laughs> is read Ed's guide, listen to our podcast, which is specific about that, the guide to claim tax rebates that Ed wrote step by step. And that means everyone can do it. And that guide has had over 30,000 downloads. And I think we worked out at one stage that the average claim, average, not representative, but is, is uh, £1,245. So mm. we are actually costing Rishi quite a lot of money there. So we've got 30,000 downloads. Mm. Average is £1,245 back. I've mm. not done that in my head. I've just tapped into a calculator. It's £37.3 million. Pounds. Oh my gosh, he's going to come around with his red case and you know, hit us at one point. Well, no, he's just going to say, well done for doctors paying the right amount of tax and not overpaying. Uh, so congratulations. That's, well, I'm sure, <laughs> who knows what he would say. But certainly it's good news. That's a good chunk of money that doctors have saved, which is great. Perfect. Great to catch up. Uh, look forward, yep. to, look forward to the next episode. I uh, hope that you join us there. Don't forget, if you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating. And if you get a bit of time, leave us a review. And uh, guess what? We got 52 five-star reviews now, but we got another one written. Shall I read it out quick? Because you're going to love it. Oh, yeah. yeah, go. I did. Go for it. So it's from Dr. JMF4. Really glad to have found this website and podcast. Easy to dip into the topics that need a bit more clarification. More and more of us take locum years. And I wonder if an episode on being financially savvy during locuming could be good. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, that sounds like a great, great, great one to do. We can do that. No, no problem at all. This is the bit that you're going to love because this doctor goes on to say, I've been able to make the first steps towards sorting out national insurance contributions overpayments by listening to your podcast. Thanks so much. Yeah, that is is music to my ears. That is a beautiful thing to say. Love it. You know, if you ever want, you know, more stuff in national insurance, more than happy to oblige. (laughs) But in all seriousness, that national insurance episode, not the most entertaining episode or way to spend 40 minutes of your life, but it is the one that we get the most. Sorry, mate. We get the most emails about it because it's something that I don't think many people are aware of. And it's complicated. So listen to the episode. But essentially, if you've had two employments in one tax year, or maybe you have a regular employment and you do a bit of locuming, that is a classic way to overpay too much national insurance. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. Both very, very classic uh, ways to overpay. And both of those apply really regularly to doctors. So check out the National mm. Insurance episode because that makes Ed really, really happy. But I thought you'd love that review because uh, it specifically yeah. mentions National Insurance. Well, yeah, absolutely. Definitely music to my ears. So thank you very much for that great comment. And of course, on the podcast and the guide, the guide is just, again, step-by-step to sorting out your National Insurance overpayments. You do not need an accountant to do that for you. No, definitely not. Absolutely. So, the guide. Um, you know, and then just by the way, when I said it's basic stuff, I didn't, I wasn't trying to say that it's easy stuff, but it's more that um, those things are the kind of basics of tax. And as you say, we've got loads of help. So just be honest, yeah, everyone should be empowered to do these key things. Themselves and it's easy with those guides. Yeah. And there's certain things that you definitely do need an accountant for. And I think we've made yeah, that pretty absolutely. clear during the podcast. Yeah. And if you do, we have the best accountants in the business on Medics Money. So if you do need yeah. an accountant, go to Medics Money. Great. Uh, Look forward to catching up on the next episode. Take care, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Bye.